Hello, nurse. This is Wacko. Yacko. From Animaniacs, and we'd love to stay and talk to you, but I've got a party emergency. You stay right here on Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you can be so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you've been guilty of witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Welcome to yet another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. The only podcast to guarantee that if you listen, you'll hear stuff. This week in episode 439, we're expecting some UFOs, so keep your eyes open. Let's see how that works out. Today we have another in what are we're calling Pandemonium Pandemic Shows. Because of the need for social distancing, the world is on the web. It's difficult to get a solid signal. So we're using a pair of again tonight and hoping for the best or at least hoping for something. In the Area 51 broadcast facility, facility tonight, it's just Captain Cam, myself, Captain Cam. How's your, how's, how's your social distancing in terms of delay? I think I'm doing pretty well here, you know. I mean, although this isolation booth, I'm glad you put up the poster of William Shatner. I appreciate that. It makes it feel more like home. I've got Nichelle Nichols, and I'm the winner. So you lose. (laughs) We have a special guest with us tonight. Um, A kind of a, a, oh, God. You know, I swear to God, I spend the world... In introductions, trying to pigeonhole people. Screw that. Not doing it. We're going to talk about stuff. And the guy we're going to talk about stuff with is a gentleman by the name of Bruce Olive Solheim. Uh, Bruce was born in Seattle, Washington, was the first person in his family to go to college. I don't know what that means, but it meant something. It's in his biography. He served for six years in the U.S. Army, earned a Ph.D. in history at Golden Green State University in 1993. He is currently a professor of history at Citrus College in Glendora, California. He served as a Fulbright professor in 2003 at the University of Tromsø, uh, not even close there, in northern Norway. He also teaches a paranormal personal history course at Citrus College. Dr. Solheim is an associate member of the Parapsychological Association and a member of Ciro and MUFON. He's published eight books, one comic book, has written ten plays, two of which have been produced. He has a talk show on the Artist First radio network. And he's here to talk about his first new comic book, Snow and Everything, or I probably left a ton of crap out. Hey, Bruce, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for for having me. And uh, yeah, it seems like a lot of stuff, but uh, yeah, it was kind of exhausting <laughs> just listening to it. <laughs> but yeah, it's a life lived. Yeah, I guess so. A, a life well lived, absolutely. <laughs> for I mean, the most you part, know, you, there's some rough spots. <laughs> yeah, well, 
Welcome <laughs> to the pandemic, my friend. <laughs> um, I first heard of you when uh, a mutual friend of ours uh, sent me a comic, Snark, spelled S-N-A-R-C. And this might be a cool guy for you to have on the show. So, as we do normally, when somebody who we know sends something to us totally unsolicited, we go, oh, hell, if you like him, then let's get him on. And then I went, you know, we should probably look at the comic first. So, But we didn't. We, we booked you first. Then we looked at the comic. And the comic, a snark, has a kind of underground 60s style feel to the comic uh, in terms of it, its look and its, its texture. And yet uh, it, it smacks in a bunch of different sociological topics in very small vignettes. You, you tell four different stories in a 22-page comic. Yes. <laughs> and you decided for some ungodly reason to do a Kickstarter for this. Why did, why did you choose to fund it this way? Well, the first thing I, I well, the, first of all, I got to say that Snark, was, it was 37 years in the making. It, it started off as a, uh, it started off as a, as a comic strip when uh, at Montana Tech, when I was going to engineering school at Montana Tech in Butte, Montana, and uh, I drew a comic strip and wrote it. I'm I, I'm not a great artist, but I was you know good enough to to draw a comic strip. So it started off. Then I dropped out of engineering school, went back in the army, and life happened, and it just kind of sat there in the back of my head. It, and it finally came back uh, last year, the end of last year, and uh, I was able to pull, pull it all together with the help of Gary Dumb, who, uh, speaking of that style, has been, uh, you know, that retro style, has been illustrating comics since the early 70s. In fact, he worked with uh, Harvey Picar on American Stranger. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. That's, he was that's his exactly primary artist. the feel right there. Yeah, wow. so it's uh, he's you know kind of semi underground, kind of you know '60s, early '70s style, and uh, I just loved his art, and I contacted him and uh, with the idea, and he loved it, and you know we've been working together on other things too, a couple of my timeless books, he illustrates them. So, but the comic book of all the things I've done, I've done a lot of stuff, but I think I'm most excited about the comic book because I, that's how I learned how to read. Comic books are so important to me. I had trouble learning how to read, and comic books helped me. And I was always an artist of sorts, you know, and loved comic books. So it was kind of a dream come true. And even though I've done all these other things, man, you know, publishing that comic book, having it in my hands was was really quite uh, quite fulfilling. And uh, but anyway, back to the Kickstarter question. Uh, it's unfortunately printing a comic. I in there somewhere. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> it's it's uh, <laughs> I know a roundabout way to answer the question. But um, anyway, so the Kickstarter thing, uh, I mean, it's expensive to print a comic book. I had no idea. Well, it's expensive to get an artist to illustrate it. And 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 Gary, you know, because we'd worked together uh, on something else was, you know, he was very accommodating. But still, it it takes a lot of money. And then if you're going to put it in full color, that's extra money. 
and then actually printing it. And I got a lot of quotes and I decided, man, this is a little bit more than I thought it was when you combine the art and then, you know, I mean, not even mentioning my time that went into it, you know, the art and the uh, coloring and the, uh, and the printing. So I said, I'm going to do a Kickstarter thing. And uh, I had no idea. I'd never done Kickstarter before. Uh, it was very nerve. I will say this: it was it was successful, but it was very nerve wracking because it, it's it's one of the more frightening experiences. Yes, for anybody to do. Absolutely. In fact, in fact my wife said, "You're not. I'm not allowed to do Kickstarter anymore because I was too <laughs> nervous about it, and I was bugging her, and she would. You know, I was like, you know, one of these guys that's a day trader. And, you know, it's kind of what it reminded me of what a day trader must feel like with the stock market or something. You know." So I was just checking my computer and my phone too often. So anyway, it was successful, but I don't think I'm going to do Kickstarter again. I mean, it might be fine for other people, but, but anyway, that's why I did it just because of the uh, initial expense. And, and of course now uh, I, but I have the comic books and uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting them out there to comic book shops. Of course, this is not a great time to be getting things out into the retail market, but uh, you know, I got the, uh, on it, it's on comiXology too. So it's a digital comic, but anyway, that, that was my involvement with Kickstarter. And I, I was very thankful for the investors in Kickstarter and I got them all their, all their stuff, all their swag, signed copies, posters, uh, you know, some original art too. There was one person that was very generous and I got them an original, some original art from, uh, which is quite expensive, more expensive than, uh, than you think. And that's the other thing. I didn't know that the artist retains all the original art. I thought, oh, I, I get to pay. I get all this stuff drawn and then I get to keep the original. No, you don't keep the, the original art. That's the artist that keeps that. So, Well, there are ways to do that, but they're a lot more expensive. Exactly. Exactly. And and that's <laughs> fine. You know, I, I, I do have some of his original art and that makes me very happy. But, um, but anyway, that's that's kind of how the, the funding uh, formula came in for the for the comic book, but it took a long time to get to that point, and it's a pretty steep learning curve when you start doing all that stuff at the same time. It's and, an uh, unforgiving learning curve too. <laughs> but it's it it is extremely rewarding. I can hold my own comic book in my hands, and yeah, I mean it's a very unusual comic, and then it combines a lot of different things. Like you said, there are the, the stories are kind of vignettes, but they're tied together. Uh, the snark character came to me in a dream in 1982, a hybrid character, half human, half alien, all heart, as it says on the cover. And, uh, I, I put it into this comic strip, which was uh, pretty rudimentary compared to the comic book. Um, but, uh, what really got it back into my mind and pushed me into doing it was that in January of 2019, my second eldest son had found a, a, a copy, it must have been on my website, an old digital copy of the, uh, of the original Stark comic strip. And he, he's an engineer, and he made a, a bust of Snark's head on his 3D printer, and he presented it to me for a late Christmas present. And I was so moved, I was so moved by it, I said, I can't just let this guy, I, I, this has been sitting around percolating for too long. I got to create the actual comic book. And now I got an artist to work with who can actually do it. Yeah, let's do it. So I, I went ahead and started that. And so here we are. Well, and now I'm working on number it, two. <laughs> it, it, it would be interesting enough if it when you story, uh, Interesting, and then you break up into vignettes, 
mm-hmm. because it gives you a chance to kind of look and explore in in four or six or eight panels mm-hmm. things like in life on earth ptsd and the way veterans are treated yep. life on the streets for most people middle class homelessness immigration in the mexican border crisis of the native american mm-hmm. uh and, and i'm sure i've missed a few in 26 pages that's yeah. a lot of st- oh i'm sorry and area 51 wall yeah. <laughs> and and the op- uh, opioid crisis yeah somehow i squeezed that in there too <laughs> holy crap i mean what's different if something really gets to you <laughs> well, there's, I have a lot to say, and uh, you know what's nice is when you can put your story into the mouth of uh, of a an alien who uh, is going to look at things in a very different way than we would. You know, he's kind of like an innocent abroad. You know, he doesn't have a particular position on anything other than the fact that he has a mission that's actually not a very good mission. His mission is to prepare us for colonization by his home planet. But then he gets to kind of like us. He meets us, you know, just everyday Earth people. And he decides, I kind of like these people. I'm not going to do that mission, which, of course, puts him in there there by the conflict. You know, yeah, there you got the conflict right there. How is he going to he's not going to do that mission. So now, of course, his home planet's going to be coming after him. And uh, that doesn't particularly care for him because he's he's already a hybrid. Yeah. No. And then the character of the cosmic staff is kind of fun. Well, we find out his backstory in, in, in uh, Snark 2. There's a very interesting backstory uh, about Snark, but also about the cosmic staff, uh, who's kind of a wisecracking, uh, uh, he, kind of a hipster, an old hipster, like a 60s Rat Pack hipster guy, you know? And why in the heck is he hanging around? What's he doing? And he's wisecracking his way through. He's kind of the, the comic relief. Uh, in some of these very serious issues, you know, very serious things that I bring up, which I think is very important. I mean, I love drama, but there is humor in everyday life, and and I think that's important. So he's there for that reason, but he's there for other reasons too that you find out in the in the second uh, book, like I said, that I'm working on. But I, I I have a lot of different things I like to talk, and in very similar format in number two too. It's going to be much longer, uh, more stories. Uh, but it's going to be similar, these vignettes that are all tied together leading up to some type of conclusion <laughs> or semi-conclusion anyway. But it's, okay. it's it's a blast. I mean, it's a blast to write. It's a blast to work with such a quality artist. And uh, I love the process. Like, I, you know, I mean, the finished product is nice, but like when I send my rough sketches, which are very amateurish compared to Gary Dumb, and I send those to Gary. He takes it and works his magic with it, with his sequential art. You know, I mean, I kind of understand how comic books work uh, and the storytelling aspect of it. But he takes it to another level and, and really, uh, it's beautiful what he does with what I present him. And, he's, and he also makes good character suggestions and dialogue suggestions, too. So he's not strictly just drawing. And because uh, he's been doing this for a very, very long time, you know, 50 years or whatever. So, you know, it, for me not to learn from this guy would be, you know, pretty stupid. So I, uh, I really very much enjoy working with him and his wife's a very talented artist too. She does all the color 
and does a, a, a cool job. But like you mentioned before, it does have that retro feel. And that's everybody I've showed it to. I went to a, I was at a comic con in Pasadena and, uh, there were a lot of artists from Marvel and DC, and I even met uh, Sergio Argonis from Mad Magazine. Oh, what a wonderful <laughs> gentleman! Yeah, he's a cool guy, ah. you know. And I I showed him Snark, and they all go, "Ooh, that has that," you know. They uh, like you said, they they picked up on it right away. Oh, that's uh, you know, that retro feel, but it's a new comic, right? And I, yeah, oh yeah, we like that, you know. So I gave him copies of it, and you know, I haven't heard from him, but anyway, it's kind of fun to have those comments, but um. But, you know, the, the cool thing I decided right away is that I, I wanted to incorporate some of my own weird experiences, paranormal, alien type, UFO stuff, along with the fictionalized story and storyline. So it's a good vehicle for doing that. And uh, as a lot of people say, fiction is more true than nonfiction sometimes. <laughs> Which brings me where this interest in... Uh, the paranormal, the the realms that exist outside what we normally believe in, ancient aliens, uh, planes of NASCAR, uh, you know, go mm -hmm. on and on and on again. Where did right, that right. start with with you? Well, uh, I my first paranormal experience was at age four. In northern Norway, it was an angelic experience. It was a healing experience. Uh, my mother told me that what it was was uh, it was my guardian angel, and it, what I saw was I was very very sick, and they thought I was going to die. And I had an, a, a, this angelic presence above me in my grandmother's kitchen in this house farmhouse in 200 miles above the Arctic Circle on a remote island where there's no hospitals no chance of medical care, you know, it would take, you know, days to get to the nearest hospital. And I had this miraculous healing. And from that point on, it kind of opened the floodgates uh, for me for paranormal experiences, because just for the rest of my life up to including today, I continue to have paranormal experiences. The only difference now, uh, since, you know, when I was younger was that now I have the ability to regulate it somewhat or, manage it. I'm not going to say control because I don't think anybody has total control of these things, but I am able to manage it uh, more effectively. And I've had, some people have described me as a, a paranormal or, a, you know, lightning rod. Things just happen. And uh, I've had so many different experiences. So, it, but it was in 2016 that I finally, and, you know, my mom was very psychic too. So that's part of it. I think there's some bloodline stuff and her mother was a healer and an herbalist and, you know, so, so forth and so on. So I think it comes down genetically as well, this predisposition, but um, she encouraged me, you know, and, but it wasn't until 2016 when a friend, a dear friend of mine named Jean died that I decided to publish all the things that have happened to me. I, frankly, I was afraid to do so. I thought well, I would, what do you what do you thought, mean by all the things that have happened here? Well, I've had uh, I'll I'll just give you one example. My we went to a uh, when I was a teenager, a young teenager, I went to an open casket funeral, and uh, I was sitting there with my mother right to my left, and my dad was on the other side of her, and it was an old family friend, an old Norwegian man. He was a fisherman, you know, that fished with my dad in Alaska. Anyway, he uh, he had passed away. He's a very nice man, and I was 
frightened. I mean, I'd never been to a funeral, much less an open casket funeral. That's pretty shocking. So right in the middle of the funeral service, and I'm sitting there looking at the casket, I, I hear his voice and I know it's his voice, the deceased, uh, because he has a very distinctive voice. It's, you know, with a heavy Norwegian accent. And he told me, don't be afraid. I'm okay. Don't worry. I'm, I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. And I looked at my mom and she looked at me and winked. And we didn't say anything, but I think she heard it too, which wouldn't surprise me because she's very psychic. But we didn't say anything because my dad was sitting right next to her and he's very much against all this stuff. He's a very practical fisherman, carpenter, union guy. All this is nonsense. You know, he didn't believe in any of it. But my mom was very different. And uh, I distinctly remember that that experience and how we shared that. We used to read read each other's minds with cards, you know, we just a deck of playing cards. And we would do that and get a very good hit rate, you know, very good, like a row, you know, a streak of them, and totally accurate. And then until my dad would get upset and tell us to put the cards away, he said, that's enough of that nonsense. So he didn't, he was uncomfortable with it and he didn't like it. So that's kind of how I grew up. And then uh, I had some very unusual experiences that later, you know, I found out were uh, through hypnotic regression and also through my own uh memories, you know, my conscious memories, I found out that these were alien contact experiences. I don't call them abductions. I call them reunions because my whole idea is that we are all connected, you know, and that that's part of this big equation. That's this big thing that's going on. So anyway, that, that, that's what I've documented, you know, everything from ghost to telepathy, to telekinesis, to alien abduction, to you know, you name it, uh, precognition. I talked, uh, the other day I was uh, talking to somebody about teleportation. I witnessed that, or some people would call it bilocation. If you use the, uh, the technical term from quantum physics, you know, that somebody could be in two places at once. Uh, I experienced that, not that I did it, but I witnessed somebody else doing it. So you name it, I've had the the experience and every day I take, especially during this lockdown, I've been taking spirit walks every day and I communicate with those who have passed on. And uh, so medium, mediumship, I do that on a regular basis. Um, so yeah, so writing snark was, there was a, a, a treasure trove of stuff I could draw from <laughs> to fictionalize the story. There are two minds when people fictionalize an extraterrestrial. There is the ET and then there is the the not so pleasant one. Mm -hmm. There's hundreds of them. <laughs> mm -hmm. You you choose to make snark oddly pleasant and innocent. Yes. Why? Because I think, you know, of the, I've had four experiences, uh, reunion experiences, starting in 1964 was the first one, 1973, 1977, and 1978. Uh, of those, none of them, although they were frightening, none of them were terrible experiences now in retrospect. At the time, of course, they were very shocking. But uh, in retrospect, in fact, two of them, I call one of the stories in 1978, I call it a uh, 
a, uh, a rescue operation. Actually, I was rescued, and also in 1964. So I don't see them in a, in a negative light now. Now, they were shocking. I mean, the, the experience in 1964 was so shocking that I had uh, speech problems for the next two years. I remember I suddenly had to, I couldn't talk. I had to go into speech therapy for two years. So it's not without, I mean, yes, you get these experiences and they're in the long run, they're great and, and enlightening, but you know, that, I mean, let's face it, these are very shocking things that happen to people and PTSD can develop uh, or speech problems or other, you know, conditions can, can occur from these things. And uh, so I, 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 I decided to make him a, uh, a likable character, an innocent character uh, experiencing another world, you know, because he is half human. And uh, that whole idea of, of being a hybrid uh, was very appealing to me uh, for many reasons. Uh, you know, w one is that uh, I grew up with, with the original Star Trek. So the idea of Spock's character being half human was always very appealing to me. I like that, that struggle that he had and was a, a, you know, a plot device so many different times. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why I decided to do that. And I thought, you know, kind of looking at the alien experience a little bit differently, although there are those that are malevolent in the story, those that are not out to uh, do good things, which I believe, you know, aliens are just like us here on this planet. You know, there's good ones, there's not so good ones, and there's in-between ones, you know. And uh, we all have different motives. They have different motives too, you know. Just like when we were exploring uh, the new world, you know, there were conquistadors and there were missionaries and there were merchants and there were entertainers. There were, you know, all, all kinds of different people for diff with different motives in his early contact. So I kind of look, use that as a model somewhat. And that's kind of where you think the universe looks at us right now as kind of early contact. I, I think so. Of course, nobody knows for sure. That's just what I kind of suspect. And and if you add the element of time to it as well, you know, it, you know, because that's one thing a lot of people say, oh, there can't be aliens because there's too much time. You know, the, the, the distances are too great. There's no way. But if you talk about it from a quantum level, how everything is connected and uh, the, the, the best way I can describe it is like, in fact, uh, one of these aliens that I communicate with on a regular basis, he he showed me a piece of paper and then he showed me a piece of paper crumpled up. On that piece of paper was an X in each corner, like in, uh, you know, diagonally in each corner. And then he crumpled, the, he showed me a crumpled up piece of paper. And now the, what were the distant X's on a flat piece of paper are now layered on top of each other. And this idea of the distance really doesn't matter when you're talking about a quantum world. And really mm -hmm. that's, I think that's the key to the whole thing is that the spirit world, the alien world and the quantum world are one in the same. And, and that's kind of where I, I, you know, and am I a scientist? No, I'm a historian, a writer, but I kind of think that's what it is. And, and there actually are scientists who are exploring that and who do very much think that might be it. And, uh, and there's all, I have a friend at Montana tech, oddly enough, where I, where snark originated um he uh uh um, i forgot his name now but he uh um oh god how did i forget his name 
anyway, oh, Michael Masters, Dr. Michael Masters. Uh, he teaches at Montana Tech in Butte, and he wrote a book called Identified Flying Objects. And his theory is that uh, the UFOs, the aliens, are, are, are us in the future coming back, that they've figured out this time travel thing and are coming back to make some corrections and help us. And that's what he believes, which I think is an interesting theory too. But I, that doesn't mean that all of them are. You know, that could be one group and there could be another group that, you know, we're outworlders to begin with, you know, but ultimately I think we come from the same source. So, which is pretty fascinating to me. And so that's kind of a long answer to why I, I was so <laughs> en enchanted with this, this character. but it also, you know, this idea that he's, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, what's funny is that, you know, like the first scene when he drops into Hollywood you know, here he's dressed in this alien costume with a, a you know, a, a, a reptilian comb on his head, you know, this this reptilian outfit. And nobody's even blinking an eye. You know, they just think he's, well, the one guy thinks that he's, you know, horning in on his corner where he's, you know, panhandling. You know, that's the that's the concern. So he just drops right in, <laughs> which I think is. You know, I mean, who are the, these people could be walking around and they probably are contacting and, and also defacing the Hollywood sign, which yeah. was hilarious. By the way. Yeah, I, I, I worked that in because that was an actual prank and I had to work that into the storyline. There was an actual prank that was done, that was done. And this prankster uh, went up there and changed Hollywood to Hollyweed. Yeah. So I just thought I'd work that in there somehow, <laughs> but give it an alien twist. <laughs> So if you don't use Kickstarter for book two, mm -hmm. how are you going to produce it? Well, there's different different ideas. Uh, one is to make it a graphic novel and go through KDP, KDP Amazon, like I've done with my books. And still in the comic uh, shape, you know, this the approximately 7 by 10 inch uh, format. Uh, so that's one idea. And, of course, that cuts down on printing costs because it's print on demand. So I don't have to do any upfront printing costs, uh, and which is important because this, the second installment of Snark is going to be about 60 pages, so three times as long as the Snark number one. So uh, that's quite expensive. So I have to figure out something. And I, and I, I had to do – it has to be a minimum of 80 pages to, to use that format, that graphic novel format. It could be more, but that has to be a minimum of 80 pages. So it's going to be approximately a little over 80 pages. Uh, and it will continue the story where it left off uh, and get get into some of the background, you know, the backstory for uh, the cosmic staff, the backstory for Snark, and then ultimately uh, the challenge that he has to face uh, taking on uh, his his hosts, as I call them, his ho you know, his home planet who want to take over and get very frustrated with him not doing what he's supposed to do. So they send in the shock troops, if you will, to uh, complete the mission. And then uh, by that time, Snark had developed a couple of allies, so that, which is always fun. So anyway, that's what happens in the, in the second one. And then that's probably the format I'm going to go with. So I'm probably not going to have to deal with uh, the uh, the pain and anguish of the Kickstarter, although I'm very grateful for it. You know, it's my wife has already told me, no, you're not going to do it again. So, and there are certain people whose words 
you take, and that's that. <laughs> right. And also, if it's print on demand, uh, you know, trying to find a space for 4,000, I think I did a 4,000 or 5,000 print run of Snark One. That's a lot of copies, and trying to find space in the house and the garage for that is not easy. So, gotcha. yeah, heard you. So. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like the fact that I got all these comics here, but it's not, you know, not everybody in the household appreciates it. Just put it that way. I already have enough comics just from my collection, you know, so. <laughs> I was going to say having, having more comics is okay if they're your own, but I have literally <laughs> run out of long boxes in, in area 51 here. It's just a horrible thought. Books about military history. There mm -hmm. are books about some of the science that you've done there are books about your parapsychological background mm -hmm. there's a radio show of yours there's this comic another one on the way mm -hmm. you're a multi-talented human and quite frankly it's it's a pleasure talking to you for well, I, I, I really appreciate it. Now, I, I'd like to share with you what uh, I had a, and a, two administrators who are gone now at the college who didn't appreciate me very much. And, and the, <laughs> one, one was a senior administrator. He's gone, so I can talk about him. But uh, he told me the problem with you, and he didn't tell me, he told my dean, he told him the problem with Solheim is he doesn't know his place. You know, and I thought, I think that's truly American to not know your place. That's a truly independent person. If you don't know your place, that means you you can do anything. Nothing that, can that, stop that you. Might have been cool. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. You can do you can do whatever project you want. It, I think it's great not to know your place. You know, and and I don't think anybody who's done anything creative or any of the people in history who've done great things. Not that I'm comparing myself to great people in history. I don't think any of them were such timid creatures that didn't, that felt like they had to stay in their place or stay in their lane or whatever they call it now. You know, I, I think they all broke the rules and broke the mold and did exactly what they wanted to do. And, and that kind of uh, thing is what creates stuff that inspires other people and helps people. And that's the whole goal. You know, hopefully I'm inspiring people and helping them. The goal for us is to give our listeners the chance to get to know you a little bit, get to listen to you a little bit, and want to know some more. And I think we've accomplished that tonight, Bruce. Oh, Bruce, Olaf Solheim, I can't thank you enough. This has been a lot of fun for me. Well, thank you, guys. I've, I very much enjoyed it. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you could find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, 
just look at robwattsonline.com. And don't forget to try the Watt sauce we have. We love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Their grooves can be found on lawrencemademecry.com. And a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus, we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody. I don't you hate people like me? I know I do.